Women's roles, women's rights, and women's identities in our culture are constantly shifting. This is Unsettled Womanhood, a podcast from Iowa Public Radio that is dedicated to conversations about different aspects of womanhood. I'm Charity Nebbe. Today, what does it mean to be a woman? There are as many answers to that question as there are women, and this hour we're going to hear the voices of Iowans who identify as women. But first, let's get a better understanding of identity and how we understand our own identities. Asha Elena Bandari is an associate professor in the Departments of Philosophy and Gender, Women's, and Sexuality Studies at the University of Iowa. Asha, when we say identity, what does that mean? I mean, I think identity has to do with the way we feel at home in the world. I think we use our our sense of identity to relate to other people. And so it's a very social phenomenon. But I think there's also a, really an individual aspect to it in that we have we each have a sense of ourselves and a, and a way that we feel um, most ourselves. And I mean, one of the, the things that I really think about when I think about identity has, is about the ways it can sometimes be very constraining, but it's also liberatory. So there are a lot of paradoxes in, in that concept of identity. Right. It's coming at us from without. It's coming at us from within. <laughs> And we negotiate it in relation right. to other people. And so our identity categories can be really helpful for finding communities of people we connect with and for understanding how the world, the broader social world and political world relate to us. Right. But then, of course, varies in different contexts. So like racial identities really vary in different countries. You know, what what counts as a racial category, who counts as, you know, a woman of color, that's going to depend on on, you know, history, on the, the country as well. So it's a rich concept. It's philosophically very rich and it's linked to notions of the self and also to autonomy. So when we live autonomously, I think we're acting from our sense of ourself, but we also discover a lot of things when we're living autonomously, when we're kind of engaging in the world in a way that is guided by ourselves and our commitments. That's something that comes from our identity, but our identity can also kind of be revised in light of living autonomously, living the way that we want to live. What I'm hearing, so much of the women's movement, as we've discovered this week, the women's movements through time have been a fight for that independence, a fight for autonomy, physical autonomy, intellectual autonomy, economic autonomy, and really the opportunity to embrace your own identity, not the identity that culture has placed on you. That's so true. And so... You know, autonomy for a while was really sort of rejected by the feminist philosophical movement because for a while it was, it was sort of understood to be really coextensive with the idea of the Marlboro, Marlboro man. So, you know, the cowboy who's a rugged individual who never depended on anyone. And so, you know, feminists rejected that idea for a while, but then feminist philosophers started to argue that there's value in the concept of autonomy, but we have to understand autonomy in relation to society. We have to understand what's required to live autonomously in a society that sometimes has really prescriptive socialization. And you're absolutely right that, that you know, the fight for freedom and for autonomy has been really important. Something else that is at the core of our culture, I think, uh, is this rugged individuality. And you hear a lot of people talking about finding themselves, finding their own identity. So figuring out who you are 
seems to be something that, that can be a real challenge for a lot of us. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I have such amazing conversations with the University of Iowa students on this topic. And I think it's really a process. Identity is probably best understood as a kind of process. It's a way of thinking about yourself and thinking about your place in the world. And I don't think there's a fixed point. Right. Sometimes an identity can be too constraining. If people really cram themselves into a box and they don't really allow for movement, identity is this kind of complex phenomenon. It's a process. It's something we, you know, we aim for. And then sometimes people don't worry about it too much at all. They just kind of are. That's fascinating, especially when you think about in terms of popular culture in this country, I feel like we think that understanding your identity is the key to happiness and maybe success. Right. And I mean, I think it's really important for political purposes often to be able to galvanize around an identity when we're talking about group-based injustices. So that's, you know, that's essential. Um, I think it is really important for being able to talk with other people with shared experiences. So there's the sort of concept of epistemic community, which is a community of people who experience similar things and can share information and knowledge with one another. So I think minority communities really um, play an important role in identifying, you know, self-identifying as a member of that community is a part of that liberatory structure, right? But I think that being yourself is always going to be a, a pretty dynamic phenomenon. And it's something that people focus on maybe more during certain stages of their lives, you know, when they're young and they're defining their goals. And of course, I, you know, reflect on all this as a philosopher for whom, you know, the activity of doing philosophy is very central to my life, right? So, so for some people, if when there's an activity that's linked to your identity, that's also, that kind of shapes it. Right? Like your work, for example. Precisely. So for some people, having a life project can help shape your identity. But of course, I'm also a mother, and that's central to my to my life and to my identity. I, I don't argue for the, the ideal of a one coherent conception of yourself that enables you to kind of rank all of your different priorities and proceed in that way. That's, that's an ideal that we see in some autonomy theorists and philosophers who have generally been white men who had a social world that was arranged in a way that kind of worked with their priorities. And I think, you know, for women of color in particular, but and for women um, more generally, when we're kind of just doing what we want to do in the world and, you know, pursuing paths that haven't been the prescribed paths for us, we need to kind of abandon that idea of locking everything into a set of priorities. And instead, we need to kind of freely move between modes to uh, make the whole thing work. We do see a struggle in this country today and, and throughout history with identity politics. And, you know, I think about right now at this moment in time when so many people are threatened by the identities that others embrace. And to use a fairly non-controversial example, you know, you mentioned motherhood. I'm also a mom. In my identity as a woman, being a mother is enormous. It, it changed me in so many powerful ways. It changed my relationship with my body. It changed my relationship with the world. However, I don't think that a woman who doesn't have children is less of a woman. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting conversation that we have in our culture, or maybe lack of conversation, where I can state my identity 
And that doesn't feel to me like that should be threatening to anybody else. And yet. (laughs) Right. And I mean, I think that the sense of threat, of course, is linked to broader cultural changes. And people maybe feel like what they understood about the world is changing. And some people have a hard time with change. Right. It's certainly people who have been, you know, who have had a lot of privilege and who also haven't had to develop the skills of of thinking across cultures and across different contexts. In those cases, I think people might may fight. They ha- have a lot of anger. And I ultimately think that it's not really about the identity category. It's sort of people don't have the skills that they need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. No one person can kind of judge, you know, everyone else and determine how they ought to be and claim, you know, the definition of say, what it is to be a woman and and assert it over everyone else. Asha, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Charity. This was great talking with you. Asha Bhandari is an associate professor in the Departments of Philosophy and Gender, Women's and Sexuality Studies at the University of Iowa. And all this week, we've been talking about different aspects of womanhood and how we are shaped by our history, our culture, by our laws. Today, we're asking what it means to be a woman. And there are as many answers to that question as there are women. Of course, we can't ask everyone. So we have asked nine Iowans of various ages and backgrounds who identify as women to share their thoughts. And we start with Anne Friedman, a journalist, essayist, author, and podcaster who grew up in Dubuque. What does it mean to be a woman is something that changes way more often than I think we are taught that it is. Not saying it changes on a societal level, but on a personal level. How do I feel about the label woman is a super specific question that even one single person might answer a different way throughout their life. I recently learned about this concept called reproductive identity that encompasses the same idea as it relates to whether and how you might want to be a parent or not. And it's kind of interesting to consider in light of the fact that Womanhood has so long and so often been conflated with motherhood. So reproductive identity is basically a way to describe the whole host of feelings, desires, statuses that can be attached to one woman's reproductive life. You know, you could be someone who knows you want kids someday, but definitely not right now. Or you could be someone who knows you don't ever want children and change your mind at some point. (laughs) Or you could be someone who's just not sure. You could be someone who actually has kids and like kind of regrets it or still doesn't really identify as a mother despite technically being a mother. It really has to do with the complicated ways that we see ourselves um, as reproductive beings. And I think it's a nice parallel for how we see ourselves as women. I think also about Maggie Nelson's book, The Argonauts, which is one of my favorite explorations of not just gender identity, but of, you know, mothering or not mothering. And she writes, how does one get across the fact that the best way to find out how people feel about their gender or sexuality or anything else really is to listen to what they tell you and try to treat them accordingly without shellacking over their version of reality with yours? And That to me is really the heart of it is it's hard for us as individuals to think about what is our version of reality? What's our version of woman? And it's equally challenging sometimes to not place our definition on top of someone else. 
it might sound like a cop out to say that this is all specific and fluid and changeable, but that's honestly how I see it. And I think that, you know, maybe a better question is not how do you know you're a woman, but how are you feeling with the term woman right now? How are you feeling about your womanhood in this moment? These are far more interesting questions to me that can be asked of anyone who has ever identified with this term or this idea. More on what it means to be a woman at this moment in time after a break. This is Unsettled from IPR News. This is Unsettled from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Over the last four episodes, we've explored different aspects of womanhood. We've learned how we are shaped by our history, our culture, and our laws. Today, we're asking, what does it mean to be a woman? There are as many answers to that question as there are women, and spoiler alert, none of the answers are wrong. We have asked Iowans from multiple generations and many backgrounds to share what womanhood means to them. My name is Jocelyn Hickey Johnson, also known as Ms. Rocky, and I identify as a seasoned woman, a grandmother, a widow, an activist, and a content creator, motorcycle mama, gardener. Uh, What else do I do? I like to um, kind of paint a little bit, but I haven't done much lately. What it means to be a woman today means to stand in your own power and realizing who you are as a woman, who you've become, um, and who you've evolved to. Um, I think it means a lot more than it has ever meant um, to be a woman because now, uh, as a grandmother, I don't think I'm the typical grandmother that used to be like like my grandmother. Um, I think I'm more active and um, because I think we've been more health conscious that we are in better shape than grandmothers used to be or people our age, my age. So I think that um, it's empowering to be a woman uh, that's lived um, 66 years like I have because I'm finding myself with new ideas and still kind of evolving myself. So I think it's powerful to be a woman, and I think to be a woman in this day and time, you should learn to do your best to walk in the power that you've gained through your life. My name is Shaviva Ferguson, and I identify as a mother, wife, artist, teacher, storyteller sometimes, um, multifaceted. I, I guess that's how I would describe myself as multifaceted. To me, what it means to be a woman is that... Um, constraints or um, roles that we maybe had to adhere to years ago, decades ago, that those are things that that are more open for us to define ourselves, especially as you get older, you find you have less and less to prove. So um, it 
being a woman means whatever you want it to mean. It's up to you to put those definers and to shake off those constraints for that matter. If if I had to give advice to younger women, it would be to not be so hard on yourself. And to um, it's good when you can see yourself as others see you, but going a step beyond that, I think it's important to see yourself as you see you and let other people fall in line with that. Um, I think if I had to give advice to a younger woman, I would say um, to be kind to yourself as well um, and to think things through before you give a knee-jerk reaction to things that, you know, might not be appealing to you. Um, In other words, kind of keep an open mind and um, try to be unbiased in in a circumstance, especially in public relations and even in your home life. You want to kind of think things through um, and not rush to judgment. I think as a lot of times I did as a young woman, um, you don't get to see the full picture. Sometimes you're just seeing your own side. So I think my advice would be be kind to yourself and try to think things through and around any topic that you find heavy on your heart. My name is Nora J.S. Reichart. I am a transgender woman, and currently I am living in Davenport and working as a digital content producer for WQAD News 8 out here. This question of what is a woman is a really interesting one with my perspective as a trans person, because it's one that gets thrown in your face a lot by critics, and there's so... This question is often a really loaded one, and I feel like that's that's so sad for multiple reasons, but the biggest one is that it really limits the opportunity for exploring what womanhood actually means when you're someone who, in at least speaking from my own personal experience, is learning it later in life. I was raised and spent the better part of a little over 20 years trying to perform masculinity and perform manhood in a way that I felt like, well, this is what my body looks like. This is what people tell me I am, and this is the part I'm supposed to play. And that was really draining. So when I finally came to accept that I was trans and I was working on my transition, it has opened avenues for me to explore new parts of myself that feel so much more true to who I am. Like just in in the little things, just going out with my girlfriends, something as simple as someone holding the door and calling me ma'am, those sorts of things, it feels like exaggeration, but little things like that are what make me feel whole and what make me feel like this is the person I am, this is the experience I get to have, and I feel so much more happy, so much more complete in myself having been able to embrace that womanhood instead of trying to hide it. And there is often a notion that accepting me as a woman, even as a trans woman, there's a real sense sometimes that it's diminishing cis womanhood. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. Me being able to celebrate my life and the experiences that I've had as a trans person does not in any way diminish what the womanhood that that cis women get to experience. If anything, it's 
whether it's its own version or one fundamental experience, I'm honestly not really concerned with that ontological question. I really just appreciate that my womanhood does not come at the expense of anyone else's. I do understand that there are often even well-meaning cis women who have sometimes a little hesitation about feeling like their womanhood is comparable to mine. But here's, here's what I would say to that. Womanhood is not a finite resource. And celebrating what makes me a woman and my femininity and the experiences that I've gotten to have since coming out as trans in no way diminishes the experiences that many cis women have had that have been really formative in their understanding of their identities. Whether you want to say that it's all the same blanket experience, or if there are differences in how I go about it, I honestly don't think it matters that much either way. It is still all womanhood, however we choose to express it. No two cis women express theirs the same way, and the same is true of trans women. And so getting to all celebrate those aspects of ourselves that make us ourselves is the best outcome for everyone, I would say. It's truly a rising tide lifting all ships situation. My name is Ginoa Alamin, and I'm an associate teaching professor uh, of Arabic in the World and uh, Languages and Culture Department at Iowa State University. For me, being a woman entails holding different roles in my life and in the different spheres that I live in. I have the role of being a mother, a wife, a caretaker of my extended family, uh, the professor. I don't think my uh, view or perspective of being a woman changed from when I grew up um, in Syria to when I moved to the United States. In fact, a lot of these, the beliefs and um, that I have originated from my family and then it continued to evolve as I continued to evolve as a person and explore my options growing up. Motherhood plays a big part as my identity, I think, as a woman. And it it kind of starts from growing up when, as a daughter, I observed um, and learned not only from what's going on in my family, but also that the, the extended family and the, that kind of warm presence of female around me in the family, uh, like grandmother, aunts. And growing up in an Arab family, it's an experience by itself. Uh, your family is actually not only your fam- the, the, you know, your father and, and mother and siblings, but it's actually the bigger family. Everybody is involved in bringing up the children. Um, all the women in the family are involved in, in, in that task. So having all of those experiences definitely influenced the way that I, I grew up and I also um, tried to uh, transfer that into my daughter, um, that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling, being uh, surrounded by family uh, 
you know, and having that support from older female in, in around you, in addition to me being that bridge between generation, I, I, cho- I chose things that I wanted to transfer. And then I also added to that knowledge to my daughter in terms, for example, in the way she is um, able to express herself um her ideas um her choices as for the workspace i think my identity as a woman plays a role there uh, for example another class that i teach about the arabian nights which is like a collection of of uh myths and and fairy tales um where we explore the uh, the role of such um, uh, the images that surfaced in, um, in, in the tales that really influenced how the West views Arab and Muslim women um, in um, a completely wrong way based of those images in these stories. For example, like what you see in Aladdin, um, the Aladdin Disney movie and how women were, uh, were represented there. So I think being a woman in really gives perspective when teaching such themes in, in, in my classes and also in any presentations that I give um, in, the work, in the workspace. I found that after I moved here, people were really interested in learning more uh, in, in general about um, how people lived, how they behave, um, and especially women. Um, and that gave me a lot of opportunities to share these things with um, the, the community, like the Iowa, different Iowa communities and even the bigger communities. So I held different workshops um, to um, talk about that or Arab Culture Nights where things like that came up as well. Um, I've been invited to participate at Edwards elementary school last year to hold an air um, culture night um, where um, it, we share experience and I share my uh, background knowledge about air culture in general, but also being a woman and for people uh, to see such representation. I remember there was a, a little girl, I think she was in kindergarten last year. She was thrilled to see me there, to see someone who uh, looked like her maybe when she's older um, talk about Arab women in her um, elementary school in Ames. So that that's really important to me. I have online presence in, um, in a website where I get a lot of messages from um, even Europe and Canada and, of course, the United States where they like to learn more and I love that because it, it encourages people to ask and learn um, about what it is to be um, an Arab woman. Well my name is Teresa Zilk and I live in Des Moines, Iowa. I am the owner of Teresa Zilk Creative Consulting, a company that helps individuals and organizations use the power of story um, and discovery 
And I am also the founder and creator of Stories to Tell My Daughter, a storytelling experience that centers the voices and lived experiences of Black women and women of color. Being a woman to me means understanding that I stand on the shoulders of all the women who came before me, Um, those women who laid the foundation for who I am with their activism, with their belief in autonomy, with their right, with their belief and their right to claim their own bodies, the right to claim their freedom and define it for themselves. That's what being a woman means to me. I'm a black woman. It doesn't change my definition of what it means to be a woman. It simply is my definition of what it means to be a woman because that's the identity that I know is the women who came before me. So my mothers and my grandmothers and the women in my community who, you know, who lived through segregation, who fought for freedoms, who experienced and still experience, and this has been my experience as well, discrimination in the workplace um, and in other areas of life. But understanding that when you show up in the world, people see you as a black woman. That's how they see you. Being a black woman, I believe, is a thing of pride. It's strength. It's beauty. It's honor. And it's knowing that I always have the freedom to be myself regardless of the circumstances that surround me. We'll hear more thoughts on what it means to be a woman in a moment. This is Unsettled from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Unsettled from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. On previous episodes, we have explored different aspects of womanhood. We've learned how we're shaped by our history, our culture, and by the law. Today, we're exploring personal identity by asking Iowans from multiple generations and many backgrounds to share what womanhood means to them. I am Stacy Glasscock. I'm a resident of Cedar Falls, Iowa, where I do a lot of work in social justice areas, and have been trained as a physician assistant, but I'm also an eight-year cancer survivor. Being a woman to me is a very complicated answer. I have two children within the LGBTQ community that both identify as non-binary, which has given me a lot to think about in regards to gender and our world. And also the fact that in 2015, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I chose a double mastectomy, and then to remain flat. After deciding to stay flat, I had a 
several years of struggling with that as whether it was part of my identity or not, whether my breasts made me a woman or were important to me as a woman or how I viewed myself in the world without breasts. When I first became flat, I only knew of two other women that had chosen to go flat and stay flat. In the years since then, there's been a big movement on social media where flat women have gotten together and created support groups. And that has been very supportive and empowering. I just attended a flat retreat out in San Francisco that was started five years ago with just one woman starting it. She showed up at the Golden Gate Bridge and had put a message out to others in the area and only one other woman showed up and the two of them together walked the bridge to bring awareness to flat closure. So five years later, on October 7th of this year, we had close to 100 women who had chosen flat closure for breast cancer walking on the bridge. It was wonderful. A majority of us walked topless on the bridge. We had signs. We wore tutus. We had shirts that said International Flat Day. Breasts do not make a woman. And it's about saving the woman rather than making sure that she looks feminine to the world in the way that the world thinks that she should. I think society wants so much to check boxes as to male and female and what those ideas represent and how they should present in our world. And losing your breasts can make a woman feel like they don't fit that box anymore. But there are so many other ways to be a woman. Our patriarchy tells us long hair is feminine and wearing makeup and dressing a certain way and the way we speak. And there's all these different expectations from the world of what we need to do to fit in as a woman in our world. And it's all, it's all BS. It's just simply not true. Hola, my name is Jackie Arriola, and I have a business, Jacqueline Arriola LLC, in Washington, Iowa. I have three children, Enrique, Miguel, and Guadalupe. I also have a wonderful supporting husband, Demo, and I consider myself a cheerleader of the Latino culture. I love being involved in the Washington community. To me, being a woman means being like a tree, that no matter what happens, you're always going to have fruit, you're going to have a legacy, you're going to survive no matter what. My upbringing has been shaped through females in my life. I was raised by my grandmother and my mother. They were very resilient, very independent, and very business-like. I'm a Latina in Iowa. That was a big shock since I moved from New York City. But that also gave me the ability to learn, teach, and also realize how powerful being Latina was. Being able to carry both cultures in a place where a lot of people did not know what Latina, Mexican meant to be, and realize that my Latinidad was my key, was my superpower. And since I apply that and I put that in my mind, 
I realized that I was walking with my head head up. And when you have that pride in who you are, you're able to share, you're able to teach, and you realize how many people are willing to learn and respect what you bring into the table. Being a mother, it's definitely a my pride enjoyed a lot of work, but that's something I chose. And because that's something I chose, I made my target to be the best mom I could possibly be. But I also realized that before I can I could do that, I have to be the best of me, not just healthy, active, but having a clear idea of who I was, knowing my identity, being proud. That was also a lesson that I got into my kids at a very early age. Knowing their identity, that made me, in my opinion, the best mother I could possibly be. I'm a business owner, entrepreneur, but I'm also Latina, and I'm a female. I look at it as a challenge. And I grew up in a family where females were the one in charge. So that gave me a different star. Uh, my grandmother was a business owner, and so was my mom. They were both very independent, self-sufficient for their time, but also allowed me to realize the importance of being a mom, but that was not it. I was able to see the way that you can handle being a mom and also working outside the home. And since I was very young, I knew that I was going to be a business owner. I just didn't know how. In my early 40s, I realized that I was getting into a different stage of my life. I was taking care of myself. I was doing a lot of self-conscious and learning and mindset changing. I was blossoming, and I noticed that as soon as I was doing that, so were my kids. And I noticed that my kids were opening their wings. They were taking leadership uh, positions. They wanted to change the world. And that, to me, was one of the biggest satisfactions that not just as a mom, but as a human being can see that type of legacy growing in this world. I am woman, hear me roar In numbers too big to ignore And I know too much to go back and pretend I'm T. Ho. I'm a mother of three wonderful kids and the wife of an incredible, smart husband, I am a teacher and a scientist, and I love what I do, and I am so excited to be a part of my community. For me, being a woman is an exciting, empowering thing. I love being a woman. I love uh, taking care of my children. I love taking care of my husband and also being supported and um, encouraged and challenged by him. I love being a woman because I get to do things and think things and be things that I don't think my male counterparts necessarily get a chance or allow themselves to be. In my household, I actually had an interesting, um, different experience than I think a lot of people. 
My father is actually very much a a kind of caregiver. He did all the dishes. He did all the laundry. He cleaned the house. He kept everything neat and tidy. And the very strict gender role that my mother assumed was that she always cooked. She always was the person that provided sustenance for the family. Interestingly, both of them worked. But at the same time, my mom was always the person that took me to the piano lessons and the doctor's visits. So even though they both worked, it always felt like my dad's job was more important than my mother's job, no matter what the job actually was. My older brother is six years older, and I would say a lot less mature than I was growing up. Um, He was taken care of by my parents, um, both my mother and my father. And I actually kind of liked being in the shadow there because I got left alone a lot and got to figure out my role and my place in society at school uh, without a lot of pressure uh, because my parents spent a lot of time thinking about him and how he was going to be and how his career was going to change and his education. So I was pretty much left alone to do whatever I wanted and I wanted to succeed and so I found my own path. As a scientist, being a woman is really a gift. It's interesting because people tend to think that scientists are very objective and asocial, um, not very interactive, kind of do things on their own. But I think being a woman as a scientist is very can be very different. So I do tend to seek the counsel of others, but at the same time, share my thoughts and views. And I feel very comfortable in socializing with my peers, and it allows for better collaboration, I think. And I actually think being a female scientist is one of the most natural, most normal things. Becoming a mother was the most uh, life-changing thing that had ever happened to me. And it has, it changed my perspective on pretty much everything in my life. It affected every relationship in my life. It affected how I interacted with my husband, with my parents, with strangers, with colleagues, with my boss. It was incredible, empowering, scary, satisfying, rewarding, all of those things, but at this all at the same time. It was it is amazing. And it continues to be amazing, even as my kids get older and they don't need all of the day-to-day basic needs. But um, now I feel like that empathy, that uh, wanting to help others has changed how I interact with everybody that I meet, my colleagues, my students, strangers on the street, (laughs) like pretty much everybody. I want a mother in some way, but not in a creepy way. I'm Deja Taylor. I'm 20 years old, and I'm an inventor based in Iowa. To me, being a woman in today's world kind of means being strong in environments that aren't really made for you. Um, For me personally, having a lived experience of being a young woman, a young Black woman, at that, I enter a lot of rooms that are not historically made for me and don't historically include me. So 
often I have to really finesse my way into these spaces and like play the right game and say the right thing and act the right way while maintaining my authenticity of of who I am. So in a lot of these spaces, I would try to bring, you know, who I am at my core, but also this external shield of how I am to act and how I am to um, be appreciative to be allowed in said space. As a 20-year-old growing up in this world, it's very stressful. I didn't hear a few terms like growing up until, you know, recently, but like burnout and like media fatigue, like like these are words that are really coming to me out of the pandemic and being a teenager while going through a pandemic. Like that's kind of a where were you moment in my life that, that, you know, we have. And I feel like every generation has. But I feel like our world has really shifted since that since our last where were you moment, that being COVID. And beyond that, I mean, really growing up in an era where women have less and less rights each day just for breathing on Earth. Like that that's insane to me personally. And um, and so it's just really difficult to try to navigate these societal obstacles that are thrown at you for no reason at all, just because someone said so. Um, that's that's really difficult to manage. And then beyond that, um, trying to succeed in a world where you're undervalued just because you breathe on earth. Like <laughs> that that's just something that I don't think anyone really expected would happen, but like here we are and now, you know, we have to deal with it and we have to find new ways to um to face that and um and it's just it's so hard (laughs) it's so hard because you know just being a 20 year old you're supposed to have fun and you're supposed to do all these really cool 20 year old things but how can you do that when there's a world that's like out to get you in a sense and with all of the identities that I carry it, it just gets more difficult to do that every single day so what I wish older generations would know about my experience is that we're quite literally growing up in a space, in a world with less than what you had on all fronts. I mean, finances, equality, like just less all around. And though it may have been easier to attain certain things like back in the day, like it's just getting really difficult to do something as simple as finish college and finish college and with with manageable debt. <laughs> right. It's getting it's getting more difficult to walk on the street and like just be and be safe at that. We're just growing up with less. So that's that's what I want older generations to know. Um, but to the younger generations that are younger than me, um, I certainly want to tell them to keep their head up and. I can't say that it'll all get better because we we don't know that. But with what we can manage, we certainly have to keep our head up and, and be strong and, and walk through the fire. Unsettled is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Danny Gear, Samantha McIntosh, and Caitlin Troutman. Our production assistants are Maddie Willis and Kate Perez. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins, and we get digital support from Matt Sierran and Josie Fishels, and technical support from the IPR broadcast operations team. I'm Charity Nebbe. Oh
Oh, man, oh.